today we're learning about, um, in the simplest way to put it, is why do good people suffer, okay? And um, I'm putting this on, on podcasts so that everybody, you know, if they didn't make it today, they're going to probably want to still hear it. Um, so we'll put it out there. But today we're learning about why do good people suffer. And so um, starting off in the Bible, um, we find some interesting things about this concept. There's a particular story in the Bible, the story of Job. And I'm going to go to Job chapter 1, starting at verse 6. And since it's just us here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little deeper than probably I had planned. But... Um, Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came along them. So notice here, notice here that the Bible is saying that the sons of God okay, came to present themselves before the Lord. Now the time frame of this is very kind of awkward. Because it's after Noah, before Abraham. So if you read your Bible, you read your Bible, Adam... Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, right? The next notable character is Enoch, but he kind of, somewhere in there, we, we're not exactly sure how that plays out. Um, he disappears, he goes with God. Then you have Noah, right? He comes on the scene, he, ha- he has three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Um, the earth is flooded, they repopulate the earth, they have more sons. And around the time after Noah, but before Abraham comes on the scene, there's a guy named Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Written book. Not in, not in, not in the form of... Uh, the story of Adam and Eve it supersedes in time, right? But we're talking about written and his, historically written, dated, right? It's the oldest dated book. So it has a lot of interesting um, concepts in there that are just not really said in other parts of the Bible. So you see Job here... The, the, the part that we're reading on, it leaves the story of Job, and it kind of goes to this picture of somewhere in the presence of God, right? The sons of God come. So your understanding is that people of faith, the sons of God, whether they be angels or, 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 or people who were made righteous by faith, right? In that time, like Noah was, Noah was made righteous by faith. He believed in what God had told him about the ark, right? And he was made righteous because he had believed in the one true God. Now, somewhere after that, there are still people who carried on the legacy. We understand that the legacy was carried through Shem, Noah's son. Okay, Shem is where we get Semitic, we get uh, Jews. That's where we get the heritage of the Middle Eastern people from, Shem. So, it's very interesting how the sons of God, and then it says, and also Satan... Right, and also Satan, which which gives us some some understanding is like, wait a minute, how come Satan has room in the presence before God, in the presence of God? How can Satan have any kind of room in the presence of God? And so I spent I spent a lot of time with the Lord asking God about this question and kind of researching it and studying it. But you know this is that when Adam sinned, he gave up something. Okay, he gave up something. And my personal belief, and this is just my personal belief, and you don't have to believe it, we can, we can continue to seek to authenticate it through the scripture, but you kind of see something here, is that it seems as if Satan somehow replaced 
Adam. Because the way Adam could come before the presence of God is almost the similitude of Satan coming before the presence of God in this situation. It was given up. It was like Esau selling the birthright, right? Giving it away. Adam had unlimited access to God. What would give Satan the right? Is it because Satan overthrew Adam and, and, and deceived him? And so does he get to take his place? We don't know exactly. But it's, some, it's something that really brought like a, a pondering to my thought. It brought my mind to this thinking, 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 right? And so let's continue. Satan also came from among them. And the Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth, walking around it, walking around on it, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Let me just let me just kind of cut the story right to the end, right? He, he goes through a lot of suffering. He goes through the, the hardest nine months of life that anyone can go through. Job's sufferings, where he loses his, his, his children, his, his, his um, wealth, his identity, he goes through an identity crisis, right? He, he's this wealthy, well-off, well-known, full of reputation. This man has everything that a man on earth would want, but loses it all. And he loses it all in the course of nine months. He goes through this uh, uh, very, very intense suffering, okay? But he's blameless and upright, okay? Fearing God, turning from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? So it's almost like Satan has some, Satan can't really lie to God. He can lie to us, but he can't really lie to God. Because he, he brings out a point is that, does Job really have anything to fear? You've given him everything. Okay, this is what he says. Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has? Even Satan knows, even Satan himself knows that God provided for Job. Why is Job blessed? Even the devil knows why Job is blessed. Think about that for a second. The enemy of our soul, the one who, who, who tempted man to sin, knows exactly that God is the one who blesses. We struggle with that. Oh, is this really God's blessing? I don't know. You know what I mean? We, 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 get, we have tons of questions about whether or not God is blessing or not blessing. And we, we get in this mindset of like, well, well, I don't really know. Is it really by grace? I work really hard, right? I work really hard. Is it really by grace? You know, I, I feel like I've earned this. But in reality, even the devil knows that God is the author of blessing. Okay? Even the devil knows that. He acknowledges you here. He says, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. He even says the hedge is that you put this bubble around Job, okay? You put this bubble around Job and you expect him, like, like, and you say that he's a blameless man? You put this bubble around him and you say he's a blameless man. Then he says in verse 11, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely, he will surely curse you to your face. But then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Notice how he tries to, the, the, what, what does Satan try to do to God? To tempt him for him to attack Job. 
He tries to attempt him to attack Job. He says, touch all that he has and watch him curse you. He's telling God to touch all that he has. God's like, no, that's not, my, that's not it, the business I'm in. There's no law of Moses yet. Okay? There's no Ten Commandments that can be held against Job. So we know that he's blameless according to his faith, having faith in God and believing in the one true God of the Bible. Then he says this, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. That's what the, uh, the Lord says to Satan. So this statement is twofold. It can be that he's saying that from here on out, all that he has is in your hands. Or he's saying, he's making an honest point and saying, yeah, Job, there's something in Job that already you have access to Job because there's something in Job that Job's are, Job already has issues. And there's something in him that you can reveal. Okay? So it's not that God is cursing Job. It's there's something already with Job. We learn later on along the line, it's self-righteousness. You read chapter 29, 30, 31, and 32. You read Job, those chapters. You find that Job walks around and says, I'm good. Why am I suffering? I'm good. Why am I suffering? He, he goes around literally asking God that. I've... I've been, I've been sight to the blind. He says things like that. He says, I was a good man. Right? So today's we're talking about why do the good suffer? Why did Job, who is a good man, suffer? Right? That's the challenge. And so the Bible really deals with this in a very, very simple way. But the world has a hard time putting this together because you're like, I feel like I'm a good person. Why am I suffering? Why am I going through a lot? Why do I, I feel like always like, like life is against me and nothing works out and at the end of everything is a bad thing, you know? And we get this easily, this, this, this darkened perspective of life and this, this view of everything kind of, whoa, woe is me, everything's dark. So the world isn't perfect, it's fallen. It's only when Jesus returns that it will be perfected. So the world right now is in a decay, okay? The earth itself is in a decay. Science proves that. But the world, the world that God gave Adam and Eve was a perfect world. They were in the Garden of Eden with everything supplied for, with no worries, with no restraint, with nothing. Nothing withheld from them. So the world, the world started falling, man sinned, then death entered the world. When man sinned, then death entered. Man didn't immediately die, but he began to decay. So when, when death entered, did, did Adam die right away? Did he die in the snap of a finger? No. It, he began to die. Okay. So death is God's enemy. The Bible says death is God's enemy. And everything that comes with death is also God's enemy. Anything that kills us is God's enemy. Even funerals. If we think about funerals, right? Don't you have that gut feeling if you've ever been... I've preached a funeral. If, if you've ever been at a funeral, there's something in your gut that just says this isn't right. This isn't how it should be. This isn't the way life should be. Why are we suffering? Why do people suffer? And it, and it gets and it kind of grows in us, right? Because we get that gut feeling something's wrong and that it shouldn't be this way. Even when like our stomach turns when we see suffering, right? We look on the news and you're just, your stomach just turns. But we have to learn something is that when you learn about grace... Things are not always the way they seem. 
So a lot of times we come with this question, why do good people suffer? Okay? That's the question we end up asking God. We end up asking each other, why do good people suffer? You know, they're good, they're good, they're good. Why do they suffer? Instead of asking this question, why isn't there more suffering? If all mankind is sinful, and we're naturally, without God, all doomed to hell, then why isn't there more suffering? Why isn't there more? Right? Why, why do evil people look like they're having fun? Try asking that question, right? And then as Christians, we feel bad about having any kind of luxury in life, right? We see evil people and they're like just living life, having a good old time, and they're just like, man, that's like, as a, and then in a Christian, we're over here fighting a war, you know, just trying to get through, the, trying to get to tomorrow, right? Just trying to go, you know, God said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm just focused on today, and I can only handle today's suffering. And we go through that. So 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 26 says, The enemy, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So understand, death is an enemy of God. God does not like death. When God made us, He said everything was good. When He made the world, He said the world is good. When He made man, He said man is very good. When He made man, He didn't just say good. He said good, good. He said good, good, right? And then He made the revised version of man and woman, right? And, and then Adam's like, whoa, man, right? And then that's how she got her name. It's like, no, I'm just So here, this is implying that death is an enemy of God that will be destroyed. Death is not in God's plan or God's will. Jesus was God's best. And Jesus didn't go around making people sick or killing people. Okay? Jesus was God's best gift to man. And God's best gift to man did not go around making people sick or go around giving people death. Right? He didn't do that. If that's God's best gift and that was God's intention and will towards man, right? We have to understand that this suffering that we're talking about is actually an enemy of God. Suffering is an enemy of God. I'm not talking about perspective suffering, okay? Where we just have a, a, a delusion about what we're going through, which means we've told ourselves a story, right? We've created this this re, this false reality in our mind that we're actually going through something that we're not going through. Okay, I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. I'm talking about actual suffering. Okay, like 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 physical harm done to you, unmerited, unearned attack against you. I'm not talking about you did something wrong and you and you you morally felt something and then you're just re reaping the just rewards. Oh, I'm suffering because I, you know, I actually, you know, just committed fraud, you know. Like <laughs> but why am I suffering? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just just things that just come up. It seems like you just have a bad a bad luck, you know. It just seems like you have a bad draw at everything, right? It's like if you it scratched a lotto ticket, it would say negative $10 and, and you, would owe the, you would owe the lottery money, like that kind of luck, right? So God's will is not that. Even in the Lord's prayer, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Jesus came to do the will of God. So Jesus is God's will in action. 
So if Jesus is healing, that's God's will for you. If Jesus is providing, that's God's will for you. If Jesus is giving peace, that's God's will for you. If Jesus is helping you with your addictions and temptations and helping you overcome the battle of sin in your soul, then that's God's will for us all. That is God's true desire toward us. So when we talk about why do good people suffer, right? So we, we kind of see the suffering part. Suffering comes from where? It comes from sin and death. The prayer that Jesus did, the Lord's Prayer, is a prayer for the kingdom and his will to be done. So God, you know, he's not casting sickness, right? It's paid in the body of Jesus. The Bible says by his stripes we're healed. But the fact that Jesus was struck with whips is why we're healed. He paid for the infliction that we deserve on our bodies on his own body. Okay? In the law, sickness could be a curse. In the law of Moses, it could be a curse. But it originally comes from Adam's sin, where the Bible says, death now can happen. You can now die. So, this is a verse that's, that's really like speaks to the, to the nature of this whole, whole situation. Romans 5.12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So, wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world. One person sinned. Then what entered to the world? Then death enters to the world. And death by sin. So how does death come in? It comes by sin. Death came by sin. Then it says, and so death passed upon all men. So sin happens, death comes, then death passes upon all men. Because all men come from Adam and Eve. For now that all have sinned. So it says all have sinned. So it's, it's, it's a prophecy. You're going to sin. You're going to sin. It says, it's, this was said 2,000 years ago. It's a prophecy. Because you are related to Adam and Eve, okay? You'll sin. You'll sin. And so death will pass upon you too. So death is the deserve, is the, is the just reward for sin. Then it says, so we all sin. We all have the plague. We all receive the plague that Adam received when Adam sinned. We still have the plague. The plague means that we die. The symptom is death, okay? We all have a condition and therefore we have symptoms. We all have the condition of sin. So death passes upon all of us. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense, again, one man's offense, one man's, death reigned by one. You know that the word reigned here means like a kingly reign. Death has dominion over mankind. So why the suffering? Because death has dominion over mankind. Is this God's will? No. But is it reality? Yes. Right? So suffering. Why do people suffer? Why do we suffer? We suffer because sin entered the world by one man's sin. And then sin passed on to all. And we suffer because of either other people's sins or our own sins. Right? If we didn't do the things that were against God, we wouldn't hurt people and we wouldn't hurt ourselves. If other people didn't do the things that were against God, they wouldn't hurt us, right? They would honor the Lord. They would love the Lord. They would walk with the Lord. They would be kind and gentle and sweet and kind and not steal from you and not try and commit adultery with your, your loved ones, right? They, they wouldn't do that. But guess what? right there in their heart planted by a sinful nature 
that allows us that if you put any sin on an island, I always kind of, we did this in Bible school. We put a sin on an island, right? We put um, a bunch of thieves on an island. And the island theory is that if you put a bunch of thieves on an island, everyone's a thief. How is that economy? Right? If we put a bunch of murderers on an island, everyone's a murderer. How does the island work? Right? If we give everyone a different God on an island, right? Everyone had completely different values, 100% completely different, worship different gods, how would that island work? It, in most cases, if we really analyze this, it wouldn't work. The island at some point, right, these would turn into murderers, right? Someone would, you have the audacity to steal from me while stealing from someone else, right? It's like kind of like this. <laughs> And then murder happens because it's like, no, I'm not going to tolerate you stealing from me. I'm the only one that can steal. You know, I'm the biggest, baddest dude. I'm just saying, if you put any sin on the island, it breeds death on the island. If you put any sinful verb on an island, it creates an island that would be non-existent at some point. So, let's keep going. Much more... So there's a much more here. They which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So we obviously have a, a way of escape, right? We obviously have Jesus who imparts to us a righteous antidote to the plague of sin, okay? Right? Where when he's in us, the symptoms of that plague begin to diminish. Right? It's a process. Antidotes don't just cure, right? If you have welts on your body, the welts have to heal, right? If you have scars from the sin of your past, right? They have to heal. There's a process of due, to, due time that, that happens in our bodies. So this is talking about kingly reign on both sides. It's a kingly reign. Death reign. But now because Jesus died for our sin, is that grace, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will much more reign. They will reign greater than death reigned. That means God's will for the earth is that there, there's healing. There's provision. There's answers for your questions. There's peace in your heart. That God is saying, this is for you and you're going to reign with it. Like a king. So, my point is death reigned. Decay reigned. Do you know, like, this is the funny part. We wouldn't even be bored. If there wasn't sin, there'd be no such thing as boredom. We wouldn't even be bored. We weren't meant to be bored. So sin, wickedness, boredom, evil, all come from this, this reign, this reigning of, of sin and death. Matthew 6, 19. Let's talk about the earth really quick. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doeth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. So it's calling the world a decaying world. The earth is decaying. So the earth is decaying, right? Meaning you're gonna, we're going to have earthquakes, floods, we're going to have disasters of suffering, right? All these things. So then why did God, people are going to say, why did God make a bad earth? Didn't in Genesis 1 and 2, right? He said he made everything good. So sin... Man was given dominion over the earth, right? He was given dominion over the earth. 
So then when sin enters the world, everything that ha they have dominion over becomes cursed as well. So the earth begins its decay. Man begins to have to work, to slave away, to be able to make produce from the ground. God even made man, check this out, God even made man last because, well, this is just a, a, a natural conclusion when you understand grace, is God made man last. Well, why did God make man last? I think if God made man like first or second, right, what would happen? Man would think like, oh, like I made that tree. You know? Knowing the way man is, right, man would try to take credit. Oh, I made half the earth, I get half the earth, right? Like they try to pull a Shrek, right, and a donkey, right? So like, the Shrek is like, come with me on this journey, donkey, and the donkey goes with him, and he's like, okay, and then so when the journey's over, he's like, well, I get half the swamp, you know, it's like, as the reward, he gets half the reward, because he did half the work, right, so God makes man last, and I'm pretty sure it's just so man can enjoy what God made, that's the will of God, that's why he made us last, he made everything else, he situated everything else, right, man was made to live in rest, in restful actions, what does restful actions mean? It means actions that are not, not done through stress. They're done through the, I already know that I'm well. And so I'm just walking in it. I'm just going to eat from the tree. Is eating, is eating work? No, it's pleasurable, right? Eating's work when you're in a competition trying to eat 26 hot dogs, right? <laughs> That's my gluttony's a sin, right? <laughs> it's not meant to be. So, man ate of the tree, man began to die, sin is the cause of death reigning. Why didn't God stop him? God didn't stop him because it violates man's free will. This is why we have prayer. Prayer is so that we can invite God into our situation. If, 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 if this is the case, if, if death reigns, then, then why pray, right? Just might as well just give up. That's what some people would say. I might as well just give up. Like, death is going to happen. We're all going to die. Forget it. It's, let's scrap the whole program. Let's not even go to church. Let's not even live for God. Let's not even live right. Let's just do, let's just, you know, just throw it to the trash. That's what our natural response would be. It's not a spiritual response, of course. But this is why we pray, because we invite God into our lives using our free will that he gave us. I know a lot of people like to battle this concept of free will. We only really have free will in two choices, okay? In two choices. In every choice, in every situation, it's the same choice. It's the same root choice, okay? That's what I'm saying. Surrender to God or surrender to sin in its nature, okay? You have two masters. You really only have two choices, right? Submit to what Satan said, Adam and Eve, or submit to what God said. Or stay submitted to what God said. Those are your only choices. You really only have two choices. The moment you submit to Satan, then, then you just follow his every whim, right? Which they did. They heard his voice. They let his voice come into their life. That's why it's important. Whoever you let speak to you in your life, be careful. Not all your friends are for you. Job found that out very simply. In the story of Job, his friends, actually God was mad at his friends, upset with his friends, because his friends would go and tell him, oh, it's because of your sin that you're suffering. And God was upset at that answer. You know, we look at each other, it's like, well, why is that person going through something, right? You're just kind of like, 
You're trying to judge, right? Well, and then we find out, oh, I knew it. Like, I knew they did something bad. That's why they were going through something bad, right? I knew it. There's that judgmental side in all of us. Where we look at people and we always think, oh, whatever they're going through is a byproduct of their sin. And God was not happy with that response because that's what Job's three friends said to him in three different ways. They all said the same thing in three different ways. And God was not happy with them in the end. I'm getting somewhere. I, I, I'm, I'm bringing it to, to tie together right now. It's why. So there's people who are suffering. We seem to understand it when people who are bad we seem to understand suffering better when people are bad, right? Because they deserve it in our minds. They're more deserving. We cast our judgment upon them, upon those who do bad. They get caught. So if the world is falling apart, this is our situation and bad people are suffering, they deserve it. Good people are suffering, they don't deserve it. That's kind of our, our cue in our head. So then why do good people suffer? We, we kind of still almost didn't answer that question. But we kind of did. First of all, if God is so good, why do people suffer? Right? If God is all powerful, why doesn't he just like magic through? Well, because he made creation with free will. That was his decision to do that. Because he's God and he gets to do what he wants to do. I can't speak for God's intention behind that. But what I can say is that's what God did do. And that's what we do have. We do have free will. So define good though. This is where it gets very plain. Define good. Do, do we still believe there's good people out there? Well, some would say yeah, right? Most of us would say, oh yeah, there's good people out there, right? They're not, 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 they're not believers and they don't believe in God, but they're good. Let's read the Bible what it says real quick about humanity. Romans 3.12 They are all gone out of the way they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Okay? That's not enough. Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, this is a great man of God. If you think about what a man of God looks like, this is the man. As far as his lifestyle, as far as the things he did. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Still don't believe it. Philippians 3.2 Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's saying that even though I am good according to the standards of God's law, I don't trust in that. I'm not, I'm not going to have confidence in my own goodness. Even if I, from perception, from, a point, from one perspective, okay, oh, that person's good. Even from that perspective, is that I don't trust in it. I've done what the law's required. I've lived blameless according to the law. I haven't slept with my brother's wife. I haven't lied. He was saying this, but he's saying, but I, don't, I still don't trust that. I'm still not relying on that. As, my, as, as, as me being good I'm not going to have confidence in that so this is the great equalizer of all mankind is that none is good no not one not one is good so 
let's take the let's take that out of why do good people suffer? Let's now why do people suffer? Because there's none good. And if there's none good, in the we all sin, we all deserve death. Then the real question isn't why do good people suffer? It's why isn't there not more suffering? Why aren't we suffering more? If that's the case, if no one is good, according to God's standard, why aren't we suffering more? We don't ask that question. We never do because we, we put ourselves in the victim mentality, right? It's like, oh, it's all happening to me. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. But in reality, because of our sins, we should be suffering more. And this is a proof of God's handprint in our lives. That God has had a if you're breathing right now, God has had a tremendous amount of mercy on all of us. It's a perspective. It's a perspective that breeds gratitude. Gratitude from a psychological perspective breeds healthiness in your actual body. It breeds health into your body, into your mind. To be a grateful person benefits you in every way, but can you, can you logically prove that you should be grateful? That's the issue. Because then you can't be genuine about being grateful until you can logically prove to yourself that you should be grateful. Otherwise, you're going to think you're lying to yourself. So the logical proof is that you're not good. We deserve bad. We're not getting the bad that we really deserve. Why? We all should have H1N1 virus. We should all, we should all have some kind of major killer disease, right? Some of us do, some of us don't. But we should all be on our deathbeds. We should all, because of our mistakes, failures, and sins, be in that condition. But we're not all there. And if you see yourself as you are right now, but oh, oh, I, ha I have something like that, and, I, and it's bad, and it's real bad, it, it could be worse, right? We all hate when people say that, right? It could be worse. You're like, no, it's like, it's already bad, though. It's already bad. No, it really could be worse. Because according to God, none of us are good. We all deserve the full wrath of the law, which is death, right? Where death should have its stamp on our life, right? But death, where is your sting? For the believer. Death, where is your sting? For the believer. It no longer has a sting for a believer. This is why we celebrate when people pass as believers. Because they're going on to the, to the perfection that once was. They got robbed by the devil. And so the true enemy of our souls is the devil using the natural laws of our failure against us. Constantly reminding us. Look, this is why this is your sin. That's, that's, this is why God didn't like Job's friends and what they said about him. Because they were constantly using, saying, okay, well, maybe you've sinned. Maybe this is why you're suffering. Right? But even, even Jesus gave a good explanation. And they said this, there was a man who was, who was sick. And he said, he was, um, I think, lame from birth. Or blind from birth. Blind. And he's, he says, oh, did this man, was this man... Did his parents sin or did he sin that he was blind from birth? So this is, the, this, is the, this is the dumb part about the disciples. They asked, is it his sin? Is his sin the reason why he was blind from birth? That's what the disciples asked him. Does that make sense? You see how that does it? Like yeah. that logic that the disciples were using to Jesus and Jesus was like, did you just say that? Right? Like let it, let it go over one more time. They said to Jesus... Did he sin before he was born? Before he was born. 
Is that why he's blind? And Jesus says, no. This is so that the glory of God can be shown. So every time we see suffering in our lives, every time we see an opportunity, I'm going to use the word opportunity right now, but every time we see suffering, it's really a perspective. For the believer, you have a choice on how to see your situation as an opportunity for God to get some kind of glory or to do some magnificent, powerful thing that would just again prove his existence to you. Or, woe is me, let me just let it go. What's the difference though? One has faith, one does it. You have to choose. Are you going to have faith or not? So, we all struggle. And we have to stop measuring our own goodness against bad people. My, oh, I, I'm, I've been this good. And then measuring it against someone else. So I can't believe they would do that. That's judgment. For you to be surprised that anyone would do anything is really, it shows a judgment in your attitude toward other people. For you to be surprised because the Bible says in the flesh dwells no good thing. What else do you expect from a flesh? From flesh, from a body. What else do you expect from sinful men? You can't expect good. That's for sure. And even when you think, okay, this person's doing charity, you don't know their intentions. You don't know if they're doing it for the applause or, or just an award and they don't really care about the people suffering that they're trying to help. You don't know that, good or bad. We don't know that, but we like to assume. Oh, they're doing good work, good charity work, good, okay, awesome. You know? And we, we judge, it's the same judgment. It's again, it's a judgment towards people. We can't measure because it only creates pride. Pride creates more separation between us. The more that we start saying, well, he's good, she's bad, he's good, she's bad, the more divided we become. The more we say, in the flesh dwells no good thing, no, there's none good, no, not one, the more united we can become because we all start from the same basis. Instead of assuming and asserting, right? Oh, that oh, I'm better, or, or, or you're not, you're not as bad, or you're you're good, and you're not as bad. We need to find a lot of us, and I feel like our personal struggle and my struggle sometimes has been in the past. We find a need to be different, or to see something as worse because one is less deserving. Oh, they don't deserve that good, you know, because they were bad or they didn't perform up to what your standards are, what they should be. It's this, it's this constant battle of really, really finding the bigger picture and bigger perspective of life. Man is not good. Man is not good. People have attributed God as the author of suffering. Okay? But we want to, we want to destroy that. God is not the author of suffering. When we go to God with this question of why do good people suffer, it's, we're blame, we're, it's, a, it's a blame. It's a blame to take any responsibility that we're to avoid saying that I'm bad. That in me is the capability to do all kinds of bad things. That's a strength, though. In the kingdom of God, that's a strength. To say I'm weak is to be strong. 
Because that means you're fully surrendered to the it's only God doing it, not me. So, in the story of Job, he suffered nine months. And I want, kind of want to summarize this. In his suffering, was it from God or the devil? The devil, right? Did God give the suffering? We, we read it in the beginning. No, it was the devil. Real quick, define suffering. And I kind of wrote this here just, just, just to be clear because, again, I didn't want anyone to like think, oh, oh, I, it's a, I'm, I just have a, a perspective of suffering. No, it's, there's actual suffering, right? If you put your hand in fire, okay, and it, and it burns and it melts, that's, you're really going to be suffering. Versus, oh, like, I can't believe I almost put my hand in fire, right? And then you're suffering as if you, you actually put your hand in fire, right? That's what ha happens to us. Just the fear of something creates a false sense of suffering. Suffering hurts. I get it because I've suffered. By my own choosing and not by my own choosing. I grew up in a life of suffering. By my choosing and some, not by my choosing. My testimony is one of unfairness. But guess what? I still believe God is good. If you were to know every detail of my life, you would think, okay, life is definitely unfair to you. Because that's, the history of my life has been a constant unfairness. You know? But growing up the way I grew up, living in the street, living in shelters, you know, having two parents with, who were drug addicts who couldn't overcome it. You know, then at 14, having no mom and dad and living in the street and sleeping in parks and, you know, so on and so forth. If you, there's so much more detail to that that I could give you, but my God is much better than what I've been through. He's lifted me from there to here to where you would never guess that about me. There's a lot of things in, in my personal life that you would never guess about me looking at me straightforward, like having a conversation with me because people don't overcome like that. Naturally, they don't. But again, the overcoming that I've been through is not natural overcoming, it's supernatural. It's been by God's hand, it's been by God's mercy, by God's grace that I'm here today being a preacher of the word. Right? Not just a Christian, a preacher of the word. Not just someone who's just showing up to church and just kind of, oh, you know, one day I'll get it, you know, this kind of thing. No, no, no. I, I went after it because I saw that he went after me. And if you can see that he's running after you, because he is, I mean, it'll bless your life tremendously. And I'm going to prove that to you in the scripture right now. And we'll, we'll get there. So yes, getting burned is bad. Getting sick is bad. Getting hurt is bad. But most of us don't struggle with those things on a daily. But we still position ourselves under suffering because we are afraid of outcomes. We're, we, we live in fear of what could be. We don't always have a confident expectation of good. We don't. And that's the reality because we live in flesh, right? It just... We expect bad. In a world of suffering, us believers have a God who would love nothing more than to bless us. But not just because, because, with a dot, dot, dot. But because Jesus paid for the reason why he couldn't bless us. Why he couldn't bless sinful men, Jesus paid for that. So that now he can bless sinful men freely God freely blesses sinful men 
Woman with the issue of blood, she sins in touching Jesus. It's against the law of Moses to touch a man when you're unclean. She touched him. She sinned in touching him, yet he healed her. Freely give in spite of being a sinner. That's the God we serve. So that the goodness of God, the Bible says, is what leads to repentance. It's what leads. She saw him good after that point. Right? You see him good in spite of you being a sinner, him blessing you. You see him good changes your mind about where you're going in life and what you want to do and where you want to be. The, the real question isn't like, why, why don't people serve God? Why, don't, why is this? The real question is, the real issue I guess we have in, in the world is people just don't believe God is good. Like with their whole heart. We conceptualize it in here in our brain. Well, God is good. Yeah, God is good. But do you believe it? Do you believe it like the same way you believe soda is sweet and tastes good for some? Do you believe it the way that you're sitting on the chair and it holds you up and the atoms adhere and stick together, right, to keep the chair in place? Do you believe it the way you believe that, that God is good? Because if you believe God is good, then therefore God is good in your life. That's faith. That's faith. Do you believe God is good? Do you really believe it with all your heart? So, because Jesus paid, he gave a remedy for our suffering. When we're sick, he heals. When we're poor, he provides. When we're anxious, he gives peace. When we're in a simple lifestyle, he provides righteousness. The world is decaying, and all of man is vulnerable to suffering. But man is only vulnerable to suffering to the extent that he doesn't have faith in God. Wherever, whatever area of your life you're still suffering in, you're still struggling in, and you still have issues with, that area of your life is not submitted to faith and to God. That's the area of your life that's not submitted to faith. If you're struggling with a relationship, Guess what? It's because you haven't submitted your relationship life to God. That, that is not in God's hands. It's in our hands still. If you're struggling with the past, it's because it's still in your hands. You're still holding on to it. And it's not in faith. Where it's like, no, no, no. I can move on. And I can be stronger than I was before. And I can have a restoration. Which means that I don't have to be stuck in the nostalgia of my past. I can fully move forward without that sentiment. But do you believe that? Do you believe God can provide that as much as you believe that you're able to sit in the chair and it holds your weight? Amen? Amen. Okay, so we're wrapping this up now. Um, so, I just want to point this out. Um, so this is our logic or this is the the lining of thinking our logic is when is then why did God bring us here just to suffer he brought us to the, did he bring us to the earth just to suffer no we understand that now but unbelief is kind of dumb okay and I wrote this down because 
it was something that I was still struggling with, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of just read through what I wrote because I was struggling with it, but I'm 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 still trying to manifest this in my life in a greater level. I have some of it, but I'm still reaching for it myself. Unbelief is dumb. In, it's a dumb logic. Okay, I'll explain right now. God left us here. This is what the children of Israel said. God, you brought us out of slavery. Okay. God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, Israel, his, his, his people. And they told God when they were brought out, okay, they're brought out, God, you must hate us. You brought us out here to die. Okay, no. Do you see how unbelief kind of has a dumb logic? Because he could have just left them. If you really, really wanted them to die, okay, and he really hated them, he would have left them in Egypt. Right? But he brought them out. But they were still in unbelief. It, you're here today, right? You're here today. God has brought you out from your past, but we still live in unbelief sometimes. Where we're like, why am I suffering God as a Christian? We're still, why am I suffering? Because we don't trust the process to where God is taking us. We don't have faith in the process of where God's taking us. We don't believe God is for us, even after coming to Him, even after Him delivering us, even after Him already stepping into our life and helping us, and we get to this point of still walking in unbelief. So it's kind of, like I said, like a dumb logic. God left us here because uh, we have all this stuff wrong still, none of it's right, things are going bad for me still, I get... I've, I've heard this before. I came to God and things got worse. Right? Have you ever heard that from people? Mm -hmm. I came to God and things got worse. No. There was more opportunity for you to get better, but you refused. When you came to God, you had to deal with yourself so that you could live a victorious life, but you didn't want to. You wanted the easy way out, but there's no easy way out because the easy way is the other way, which is death. It's death or growth. It's death or growth. Pick. That's our choice. Death or growth. So my point here is not to like beat you on the head and say, okay, look, you're, you, you made bad decisions or you've done bad things. I want to encourage you and I'm going to encourage you by, by saying we're all bad, right? But the, you're here today. You're hearing the message. You're, we're, we're, we're in the presence of God. We felt the presence of God during worship. And He was here. And is here. This is God's plan for you. In spite of your suffering. In spite of what you're going through. James 5.10 As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So He's saying, here's an example of suffering. These men suffered and had patience. Take the prophets as an example. We count those blessed who endure. So there's a blessing for enduring the trials that you're going through. There's a blessing for overcoming and enduring. You have heard of the endurance of Job. Okay, Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. So when you come to God, your suffering is no longer called suffering. It's called dealing called dealing 
God is dealing with you. The things that happen to you in your life are not authored from God. The bad that happens to you is not authored from God. We established that. But when bad does happen to you because you live in a fallen world, God will use it to deal with you. God still deals with us. When we have bad motives and a bad heart still after coming to the Lord, He deals with us. You go through things that are difficult and hard because He's still dealing with you. Check this out though. That the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The outcome of the Lord's dealings when He deals with us are what? Is that He's full of compassion and merciful. That was the testimony of Job. Is that even after all the suffering, Job was at the end able to say this, God is compassionate and God is merciful. Why isn't there more suffering? Because God is merciful. Because everything God does is tethered with mercy. It's tethered with mercy toward you and I. Things could be worse, but they're not because God has had mercy on your life. Ask Him to take it out. Ask Him to take the mercy out of your life. If you did, what? You never know. You never know the car accident you could have got into yesterday. That he spared you from because of his mercy. Because you've given your life to him and you're surrendered to him. See, these are the things we don't, we don't really praise God for. But this is where we can start birthing an attitude of gratitude toward God because we understand that we're under mercy. So we're constantly under a provision, a supernatural provision of, of, of avoiding pitfalls, avoiding bad. And you really have to go out of your way. You really have to go out of your way to get something really bad in your life as a believer. The end result of Job's suffering, he suffered for nine months, he lost everything. And this is the other part, it's God's compassionate. God didn't have to double bless Job. Job, everything he lost was doubled in his life. Everything he lost was doubled, even though he was self-righteous. Okay? Okay, he overcame that. Once he overcame that, he became double blessed. Are you ready for double to be double blessed than you are now? Whatever level of blessing, but can you see that you're blessed right now? Can you really, truly, in your heart of hearts, believe that you should be grateful right now? Or are we that thinking, are we that good in ourselves that we think we deserve something better than what we currently have? Are we that good in ourselves to think that we deserve something better than what we currently have? No. What we currently have is what we currently have. It could always be better. It could always be worse. Let's thank God for His mercy that it's not worse. And let's praise God for His grace that it will get better. Last, last verse. Um, Philippians uh, 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing that he who has began a good work in you will perfect it into the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish his work in us. That means he sees your end. He sees your end. What's the outcome of your end? That you'll end up saying God is compassionate and God is merciful. What's your end? You'll be able to say that after your trial. It doesn't feel like that right now, but you'll be able to. Psalms 23, 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is this is a really this is one of my favorite verses. Okay, favorite all time verses because first of all, it's before chapter twenty three is chapter twenty two is before chapter twenty three. Chapter twenty two is the prophetic psalm about Jesus' death on the cross. Okay, Jesus it, it speaks prophetically that Jesus would die. Right. So in Psalms twenty three, it's the next chapter, and. It's written by David as well. So we know that David knew that he wasn't talking about himself when he was talking about they pierced his hands and his feet. That's prophesied in the Psalms. David wrote that Psalm that Jesus would, his hands and his feet would be pierced. He prophesied the words that would come out of Jesus' mouth. When Jesus, Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? It's prophesied in Psalms 22. Psalms 22 starts off, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? It, it prophesies about them casting lots, gambling for his clothes. It prophesies so all of Psalms 22. Okay, so Psalms 22 is the payment for the suf- for the for the sin, the suffering we deserve for our sin. Okay, but here's the exchange in Psalms 23 is now the blessing we get for having our sin paid for by another. Okay, Psalms 23 is the blessing we get because our sin is paid for. So when, when David says, surely, certainly, goodness and mercy, goodness, good things, okay, and mercy will follow. The word follow there is the Hebrew word radaf, which means to hunt down aggressively, to hunt, to hunt, to hunt down, okay? Even though, yes, there's suffering in the world. When you have Christ and His death on the cross and you have faith in the work of Jesus on the cross and that it's finished and that it's done, surely goodness and mercy will hunt you down all the days of your life. It will hunt you down. It will chase after you. This is why you're here. This is why you you haven't been able to let go. Every time you let go, God's still holding on because He's a good Father that way. Right? You, you have a baby in your hand. You, oh, baby, hold on. Hold on, right? And even though you know that you're going to hold on to the baby, you still tell them to do it, right? Hold on. And, but if they let go, guess what? You're still going to hold on. And God is still holding on even after we let go. This is why he says, no one can pluck you out of my hands. But do we, are we going to walk in faith like that? Right? Are we going to get away from the dumb logic of, of unbelief and walk into the Bible, like it's, it's just this superior knowledge than that of the world that you have no idea. When someone is certain about something, they become the most poised and ready to accomplish what they're going to do. You need to believe. In order for God to, to fulfill His plan for your life, okay, I say I say it this way because God has a will. God's will is that none perish, but people perish every day. Yes, God has a will. It's not accomplished because man has not aligned himself to God's will. So we must align ourselves to God's will, right? But when you walk in the certainty that He's for you, and that goodness and mercy are hunting you down, the money that belongs to you in your life is is searching for you. The blessings that belong to you in your life are searching for you. You don't have to go searching for them. 
You stay focused on the Lord and His purpose and His plan for you. You stay focused on that and you let those things hunt you down. You let those things come after you. You let healing come after you. You're not bound to sickness.